Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, right now, storming in the door with all of his books and his notebooks and everything else, we say a good morning to an old, heavy on the emphasis, old friend of mine, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Good morning, How buddy. Doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Great. Not a bad day out there. Kind of nice. You know, and it's no kidding. You do a lot of research. I do. On a lot of stories, and you, you told me, and I don't think you want to keep this a secret, that when you travel around the country, uh, you go to a lot of bookstores and find interesting historical books. I love to go to old bookstores because I find books uh, where a lot of times I can buy them for a couple of dollars. Yeah, I know. You had a book last week that absolutely piqued my uh, interest, and you said you found that for like two or three bucks. Yeah. It was a book that probably sold originally for 40 bucks. Probably big, thick. Yeah. yeah. That was great. Yeah. So... In other words, you're a cheapskate. That's exactly right. <laughs> so I'm going to start out. I want to say hi to a few people. All okay, right? go ahead. I want to say hi to Elby, who lives up in Rigby. He's a long-haul tra- long truck driver. I want to say hi to Rob in England that sent me uh, some comments. England. In England, Rob. Now, stop right there, because for those that think this is just a little bitty local program, <laughs> boy, you've got another thing coming. And Jeff, and another one that I want to mention is uh, a guy named Dan in Chicago. Really? Dan is the one that sent me this picture that I'm showing you that I, I have already showed you. Of the Pinkerton. The Pinkerton Detective Agency. Yeah. This is where... There's a historical marker that was put up by the Boy Scout Troop 35 in 1968. That shows this where uh, where Alan Pinkerton originated. Now he started it, right? Right, exactly. And, and the Pinkertons were really feared in the old yeah. West. In fact, I, we've done shows about the yeah. Pinkertons. Yeah. And anyway, that, I just wanted to thank those people for listening. And absolutely, and, uh, especially Dan for sending me that picture. Thanks, yeah, and, Dan. And Butch and Sundance kept looking over their shoulder at those guys. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. They did. So today we're going to talk about a. And I'm going to. Stick my neck out again. Someone that I don't think anybody has heard about, and if you have, let me know. All right? Okay, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So, Ure was the chief of the Utah Ute Indians, and we're going to kind of go back here. He was going along, and he Ure? did... Ure. Oh, Ure. Ure. He did not realize that the danger he faced as he traveled to the Los Pinos Indian Agency, in a, this is in 1872, the federal government had officially recognized him as the leader of the Utes. But some, and this is down in Utah, not area, you know, Colorado, but some tribal members resented his authority and blamed him when the government broke its treaty promises. Well, five Utes had decided they were going to kill this guy. Oh, man. All right? The government messed up, but yet poor old Ure is going to take the blame. He's going to take the blame. And so anyway, when he got to where he was going, uh, or just before, at the last minute, the guys that were going to kill him decided they wouldn't kill him, except for one guy. His name was Sapavanero. Okay? You're doing good so far. Thank you. Sapavanero. Sapavanero. Now, Sapavanero happened to be the stepbrother of Ure's wife. What was her name? Chapita. You got all Chepita. that. Chapita. Now, stay with me here. Okay, I'm trying. Okay, so as Ure hitched his horse to a post at the agency, Sapavanero jumped out from a hiding spot. Now, this is his kind of his brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Really. Yeah. yeah, I got that. He had an axe. Uh-oh. 
Well, Ure kind of sensed that something was wrong. He jumped aside just as his brother-in-law swung the axe at his head. Well, Ure must have been a pretty good stout guy because he tackled Sapavanero and grabbed him by the throat. Uh-huh. But before he could take his revenge, Chapita, who was standing there, snatched his knife from his scabbard and her quick reflexes basically saved her stepbrother's life because but more importantly she avoided uh, a split among the Ute leaders okay no, wait a minute she stabs a no, no no she just took Ure's knife so she oh, so he couldn't kill boy so I guess they got up and they I don't think they shook hands and left friends do but. you have a program I can follow to follow the numbers <laughs> of who's playing okay we only got three so far okay so I'm just remember Ure and Chapita got it husband and wife got it Ure is the chief of the Utes. Right. All right. So he almost got killed by his brother-in-law. Sapavanero. Sapavanero. Okay. So let's go back. Chapita was well thought of by her own people and was always allowed, and this is a little unusual, often especially invited to take part in the council meetings. No other Ute women were ever allowed. And Mm. rarely, you know that. Sounds like Michelle Obama. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Chapita was Chapita. (laughs) But she was born in 1843 to Kiowa Apache parents who were killed by Indian raiders when she was still a baby. Now, a band of Utes actually found her crawling around her parents' uh, ransacked camp. They raised her and named her Chapita, which uh, has been translated as meaning white singing bird or the charitable one. So that's what, you know, all the Indians' names usually had some kind of a meaning. But uh, anyway, so Chapita's husband, Ure, (coughs) was one of the youth's most respected hunters and warriors. And when his first wife died in 1859, Chapita began caring for his son, whose name was Peron. Oh, wait a minute. Peron. Peron. Okay, Okay, that's the son. Okay. Okay. Well, she kind of impressed Ure with her intelligence and her beauty. Ure was 26, but he asked Chapita, then who was 16, to marry him, and she did, which, again, age is not, that's not unusual at all. Mm -hmm. But here's what one of the historians said about Chapita. Here's what he said. She was a typical Ute wife of the time, hardworking, shy, quiet, and the person who did almost all of the day-to-day household work, which would have included tanning Ure's deer skins and elk skins to use for sewing his clothes and moccasins, cooking, including preparing dried meats, hauling wood, and carrying water. Chapita helped raise Peron, which would have been her stepson, right. and loved him as her own child. Okay. So, At 16? Yeah. But, yeah, but they, learned, they knew how to work. And they worked uh-huh. hard, you know. Uh-huh. So anyway, Chapita was devastated as Ure when, uh, kind of a bad thing, when Sioux warriors raided their hunting camp near, uh, kind of north of Denver in 1863, and they kidnapped Perone, Uh-oh. Ure's son. Uh-oh. Well, the Sioux later gave the boy to a group of Arapahoes who were traditional enemies of the Utes. Uh, Chapita and Ure spent years searching for him. Uh, federal officials once tried to to help get Peron, but they never, never found him. Never huh? did find him. Really? He was never reunited. So, but you know, a lot of times once they went to another tribe, they over the years would gradually become a member of that tribe. You know, I don't mean to interrupt you. Yes, I do because I have a question. But when you talk about that, they didn't have social media or anything yeah. like that to say so and so is missing and look for him. How did they get the word out that their son might be captive in a certain tribe? The, the only way that usually happened was 
maybe some trappers, some mountain men might be visiting a particular tribe. I see. And they'll see perhaps a, a white child uh. or, or a white woman. And in the course of traveling, they might say, yeah, we saw this particular child somewhere. Okay. So, anyway. But now, Ure and Shpita, they actually had no children of their own, but they adopted three young youths, and by tribal custom, Ure could have married another woman who could bear him children, but he refused to do so because he loved Chipita. They were, yeah. they really were. But now, when gold was discovered uh, near Pikes Peak in 1859, the white prospectors and settlers flooded Colorado, and as usual, confrontation between them and the natives' uh, tribes escalated, and when Indians were shot without cause, you know, yes. some of the youths wanted to retaliate, which, you know, you would. Absolutely. Well, Ure had already distinguished himself as a skilled hunter, a ferocious warrior, but he knew, he realized that the youths could never drive off the settlers, kind of like Chief Joseph. You know, yeah. you could see the writing on the wall. Well, what happened to the brother-in-law, though? Uh, doesn't mention him anymore. Oh. I, I think he moved away. <laughs> With his axe. <laughs> Somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, he knew they could drive off the settlers, and there were simply too many of them. He advised his people to try to live alongside the whites and negotiate treaties that would preserve their way of life. As a result, he became known as the Peace Chief. Really? Yeah. So... One early settler in northwestern Colorado, a guy by the name of David S. Gray, remembered an occasion during his childhood when he met Ure face-to-face. And what he says is a group of Indians had surrounded the Gray family's new home one day in the late 1870s, and Gray and his uh, uh, brothers and sisters, they, they were scared. They, they took off running. Well, one of the Indians raced after them on horseback and assured the children that there was no problem. They weren't in danger. Now, these were Ute Indians. Right. Okay. Yeah. But they were around this uh, David Gray's uh, house where he was growing up. But he, uh, David says that this uh, Indian that talked to him said he spoke excellent English and seemed much disturbed at having caused so much excitement. And Gray later recalled that uh, party was chief. That was Chief O'Ray and his family. Thank goodness, and possibly you or I protecting our families. Maybe we would have fired a, a bad yeah. shot at yeah. the wrong time. Yeah, but he goes on. He says we saw many Indians in the years that followed. They were always friendly. And he says, very hungry. This was in the 1870s. Yeah. I thought most of the conflict had been... Settled? Yeah. Well, it's getting towards that end. I yes. see. Okay. Now, Uroy had no close male friends. He actually preferred to spend time with Chipita. Uh, despite the commonly held Ute belief that women were inferior to men mm-hmm. and should be ignored as much as possible, as I mentioned, Chief Eric Chipita had the respect of the other Utes, too, because of her beauty, her intelligence. Uh, some of the Indian agents referred to her as the queen of the Utes. Really? So very high standing wow. uh, in the community. But Chipita actively supported her her husband's peace policies. She lobbied other tribal leaders and joined Ure on trips to Washington, D.C. No kidding. Uh, You know, this happened several times with uh, Indians trying to go back and and talk to the people in Washington. When they went back, did they have kind of an entourage that went with them? Uh, I don't know that. I don't know if they had very many that went with them. You wouldn't want to jump on a train by yourself. Well, maybe not. But they went back to Washington, D.C. to discuss treaties with the, the federal officials. And on one trip in 1880, Chipita, 
says, quote, with her native charm and dignity became the darling of Washington society. So they took a liking to her. Now, according to one author, he he says, quote, she was dressed in Victorian finery and was given valuable gifts of silk dresses, gloves, silver pieces for her home. So they really liked her back then. Mm. Anyway, well, Chipita and Ure eventually settled on a productive 300-acre farm on the western slopes of the Colorado Rockies. So they, they were peaceful. Okay. How did they make the money to pay for the farm? Well, I don't know. That's but, twice. Well, okay, wait a minute. Okay. Maybe this will answer that. Uh-huh. Okay, federal agents deeded the farm to Ure and agreed actually to pay him $1,000 in return for his willingness to work with them as chief of the Utes. So it was kind of a pay. I see. All right. So anyway, over the years, Ure, who spoke several languages, negotiated treaties uh, that guaranteed specific lands for the Utes in return for other land and government aid, which we know didn't always come to pass. Amen. But anyway, to encourage assimilation, Ure and Chapita actually started wearing white men's clothes, adopted their customs. They entertained white friends, and they actually had a 16-room adobe house. They served meals on China. They entertained by playing the piano and guitar and singing. (laughs) Kind of an unusual picture here. I wonder at that point what the other Indians thought of that. And that may have not been good. I don't know. But the couple's life, uh, the comfortable life, was kind of shattered in 1879 when some other Utes uh, called the White River Utes rebelled against a guy named Nathan Meeker, and he was kind of one of those bad Indian agents. Anyway, they killed him and uh, just kind of started a, a, a little bit of a war. Now, where was that at? That would have been over in uh, over in Colorado. I see. Anyway, so in the wake of the Meeker killings, the white settlers demanded that the federal government remove the Utes from Colorado. Now, despite Ure's efforts to reestablish peace, in 1880, the officials canceled the Utes' treaty rights to their 12-million-acre homeland in Colorado. Mm. And then they prepared to move them to eastern Utah, and mm-hmm. uh, once again, to the land that no, the whites didn't want. Right. Well, Ure continued to urge the Utes to live peacefully with the whites. In 1880, at the age of 47, he died while on a treaty mission. At 47? Yeah, but... A lot of them didn't last that yeah, long, you know. Really. Well, with his death, Chapita lost her influence, and when a white settler wanted her farm in 1881, this nice 300 acres with this nice home, she was forced to leave. She joined 1,400 other Utes on a forced march to a reservation in a place called Bitter Creek in Utah, and that's uh, several hundred miles east of Pro, current day Provo, Utah. East. East. Yep. Pro, you can't yeah. go several hundred miles. Well, from Provo out towards uh, what's it called? The uh, uh, Flaming Gorge area. Oh, okay. Out that gotcha, direction. gotcha. So they, she joined 1,400 Utes on a forced march to this reservation and officials promised her a new home as nice as her old one. She was given an unfurnished two-room place with unplastered walls, no water, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, she had been accustomed to be a very well wealthy person. Of, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, what historians do not 
uh, do know is that Chapita, kind of disillusioned by the government's treatment of her people, eventually abandoned anything to do with the white culture. She reverted to the nomadic Indian life she had known as a child. Her days in Utah were filled with kind of indignities. Once in 1857, armed white men rode into her camp while she was gathering food with other Ute women. The men threatened to kill them, and then they burned their camp to the ground, and the women escaped. Just another, you know, bad deal here. So There's no as, reason to be that inhumane. Yeah, None whatsoever. Yeah. But as Capita got older, she reverted to living in a teepee now. So here she was from a 16-room house now to a teepee. Wow. And she was nearly blind with cataracts and suffered from rheumatism. Now here we are in 1916. She was 73. Wow. That's getting up there. Yeah. Okay. Wait a minute. Be careful Se- how you say that. 73 for back then. Yeah, okay. Be careful. Okay. All right. But a sympathetic Indian Affairs official visited her at Bitter Creek to see if he could do anything for her. She replied, quote, I desire nothing. What is good enough for my people is good enough for me, and I expect to die very soon. So she kind of gone full circle here. I guess. So, Japita lived on for eight more years. She died in 1924. Wow. And was buried in a ravine near Utah's Book Cliffs. And I'm not exactly sure where that is. I think that's still kind of in that, uh, towards that flaming gorge yeah. area. Yeah. But the following year, when friends worried that her remains might wash away in a flash flood, they reburied her near her old farm a couple of miles south of Montrose, Utah. And more than 5,000 people formed a procession a mile long as they came to pay tribute to her memory. 5,000? 5,000. Woo. The honor contrasted starkly with the last days of her life when she had lived basically unknown. And But finally, Coloradoans had recognized the important role that she played in Western history. And no children. No. No. But today, there's actually a nine-acre historic site where Chapita is buried. Uh, it's called the Ure Memorial Park. And it actually features the Ute Indian Museum, Chapita's large granite tomb, and a tall stone monument to Ure. And uh, it's, uh, quote, it is somehow fitting that Colorado's largest and finest tribute to any Indian or Indian tribe is located at this spot, a spot first given to Ure and Chapita, then taken away from them, and finally dedicated to their memory. You said something earlier, and I want a clarification on that. Montrose, Colorado, I think you meant, instead of Montrose, oh, yes, I'm Utah. Sorry. Yeah, there, yeah yes. I was going to say, I know where that is. Yeah. Okay. So here's a person that I think is would make a great movie if they would follow. You know, the, isn't that interesting? I was just thinking the same thing. You know, what a, an amazing life yeah. of, to go from. Do you have a picture of the lady? I do not. There's, I uh, don't have any pictures here. But uh, to go from basically being adopted by the Ute Indians yeah. from her now, she biological. Was white, right? No, no, she was an Indian. She was an Indian. Yeah, yeah. She was. Okay. Uh, 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 like say she was kidnapped and then or no her her parents were killed yeah. uh and by Kiowa Apaches uh, or no her the Kiowa Apaches were her parents right they were killed but the Utes are the ones that found her and I brought see. her up adopted I her see. so she so. basically lived almost double the age of Ure yeah yeah again yeah. He, back in those days to live even past 60 yeah. is quite unusual yeah 
So she was uh, close to like 81. That's an interesting story. I'd like to go down and see that. I would, too. I uh, When I see these things, I think, you know, I really want to go visit that place. Uh, so, you know, maybe one day. We need to get a van that says Dr. History on the side of it. <laughs> and, and I'm buying it, right? Well, that was my premise, oh. yeah. But uh, <laughs> okay. anyway, we need to have this van, and we need to go tour all these historical sites. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, you know, just to spend a couple of weeks. We just... could do it radio and television. Well, okay. Yeah. we got to go first class, man. All right, all, all right. right. Well, the we'll, van... have our, we'll be like that Texas country reporter. Oh, yeah. Haven't you ever seen that television show? Uh, no. It's a great show. And uh, I can't think Bob is the guy that films it. And he's got a film crew that goes with him in the van and his wife. And they go all over Texas to all these different historical uh, oh, places. Yeah. We could do the same thing here. We could. There's yeah. a lot of stuff just here in, in Idaho. In a lot of cases, it might not be historical. It might be hysterical. Well, with <laughs> you, you know, I mean, what can we say? <laughs> no, but that'd be fun. Oh, I'd love to. You know, just go to the places I have, like the Custer Battlefield. and. Oh, that's eerie. You know, yeah. That was really eerie. Yeah. That bothered me. I'm not ashamed to admit yeah. it. Yeah, but in yeah. Cody, Wyoming, the Buffalo Bill Museum. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of great we could have places. a lot of fun doing that. It would be. Great. We wouldn't have to work another day of our life. <laughs> We'd be living in a van. The money down would by be the river, flowing in. <laughs> what are we going to talk about next week? That's a great question. Uh, okay, um, well, it deserves leave, an answer. I'm going to leave you hanging. <laughs> okay, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody in England and uh, Taiwan and everywhere else that you're well, thanking Ro- them. Rob in England, thank you very much. Uh, I love England. I've been there a couple of times, and of course. Dan in Chicago, LB up in Rigby, Jeff. Yeah, the, uh, appreciate your comments. And the gentleman uh, in Chicago is he a Cubs fan? I hope he did not say that. Find out. <laughs> okay. He did say he may be coming out to Idaho, though. And well, we'll if he treat does, him first class. We are going to take him out to dinner. We're going to take him to all the social events. And you, of course, have volunteered to pay for the well, whole I, thing. Well, that was just assumed. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Doctor. You bet. All you right, don't go day. away. i got to talk to you in a minute. Okay. All right, don't forget Dr. History every Tuesday. He does a great job on these stories. I love that story.